Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. I am Ansel Lindner. I'm here with my uh, overworked co-host, Christian. How are you doing, CK? You're not supposed to tell them about how overworked I am. <laughs> how are you doing, man? Um, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Uh, doing a lot as usual, but always excited to get into macro. The audience gets a double dose of macro the last hour or so, maybe yeah. two hours was Mark Moss. He was dropping bombs. I was listening to the end of that. Um, but we have a great agenda lined up. Uh, but I guess first, let's uh, get into some housekeeping. Uh, I have to shill BitcoinDay.io, the Nashville event. It's September 10th. I'm going to be emceeing. Ansel's going to be there. Half of the Bitcoin Magazine staff is going to be there. Robert Breedlove, Dylan LeClaire, uh, Zach Vole's going to be there. There's going to be an enormous amount of signal at this event. It's going to be you know close to 100 people. So the speaker to audience ratio is going to be absolutely fantastic. Well worth every penny. We got a 10% discount code BTCMAG10. So go use that so you can see us in Nashville. Uh, they've been showing Bitcoin Amsterdam this whole time. But hey, you got to talk about Bitcoin Amsterdam. That is coming up October 12th to the 14th in Amsterdam. I just booked my travel. I'm getting really freaking excited. This is going to be an absolute banger of an event. They got BM Live for 10% off of that. And then lastly... Last but not least, we got the Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, we've been talking about the most recent issue, the censorship resistant, but To the Moon and the El Salvador edition are instant classics. And if you subscribe to, uh, you know, to the uh, the subscription, those have already passed, right? So what you want to do is make sure to buy those as well. Uh, we're also going to be rolling out different like collectors packaging. For these, uh, I'm looking into, have you ever seen like getting like trading cards graded or magazines graded where someone goes and says how perfect it is and puts it in plastic and puts a grade? Looking into yeah. doing some stuff like that with the Bitcoin magazine. So a lot of good stuff coming out for uh, for Bitcoin magazine cool. in print and for the collectors out there. But uh, Ansel, I'll pass it over to you. What's your housekeeping? Oh, not much. I mean, we're, uh, we're covering a lot here today. We're going to go through some quick charts on Bitcoin, the dollar, energy markets, the energy crisis in Europe. Then I'm going to do a China update real quick. Um, and Zoltan Posnar, uh, on my Telegram group, I've gone through his recent dispatch a couple times in, in different formats, and I'm going to try to do that here again as well, uh, break apart some geopolitics. And, you know, he, he's thinking we're going to Bretton Woods 3. So that's this is right in line with Bitcoin, and I think we can learn something from reading through a few quotes from that dispatch. Um, but like I Zoltan, said, I, go Zoltan ahead. is probably one of the most influential macro yeah. writers today. He's also speaking at Bitcoin 23 in Miami. So that's oh, next wow. uh, May. So Zoltan, yeah. If you go over to, to b.tc forward slash conference, click on Bitcoin 23. He is a preliminary speaker amongst a very impressive list. So um, check out that. But yeah, back to you, Ansel. Sorry. Quick show. No. No, I, I'm, that's cool. I think he's headquartered in uh, he. Well, he's with Credit Suisse, but I think he works in New York and uh, maybe he'll be moving down to Miami because all his bankers seem to be moving down to Miami. But anyways, uh, yeah, I, I have been talking like I mentioned there on my Telegram. I'm doing live streams over there almost daily, about four times a week. And um, uh, I've been covering things like this Zoltan piece and uh, the energy crisis and all that. So check out my Telegram, it's uh, t.me 
forward slash Bitcoin and markets. All right, that's my only shill. What should we do now? Get, get right into the charts? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Chris, you want to help us out? Thank you, sir. All right, so this first one is Bitcoin and it, man, it just looks, the term <laughs> The term I think of is just flaccid. All right, this, this market is just flaccid. There is no pump at all in this uh, chart and it's below the 50 day moving average, far below the 200 day moving average, but there is something here. Okay, guys, there is some strength. We haven't broken to new lows. At least we can say that, that there ha is some strength in this market. Other, you know, there's correlation with stocks, which is going to be the next chart, but there's correlation with stocks and uh, the stock market is much more volatile looking when you, when you take a look at that chart. So uh, Bitcoin has, I think, been a little bit more stable so let's go to the next chart ansel no ansel by the limp that's the new meme by the, <laughs> by, by the limp all right well I, I that's that's the first word to come to my came to mind when i saw this chart anyway next next slide is the stock market and a lot of people are thinking we're going to new lows just because it sold off here about nine percent from the recent high but it it charged up 18 percent. and remember it this is the first if this goes to new lows, this will be the first bear market rally to break 50% going back up before it hits new lows. And I'm not saying that, you know, that makes it absolute 100% that we won't go to new lows. But, uh, you know, this is in the history of the stock market. This hasn't happened. So it's a pretty, pretty good signal, in my opinion. And if we do uh, drop here, you know, the Fibonacci we're not even close to that 61.8 Fibonacci, which would be a great bounce for the market. So um, I'm still thinking stocks will go higher throughout the rest of the year, as well as Bitcoin. Um, so that's what I have for these correlated markets. Anything to add on that? Or should we talk, to, talk about the dollar a little bit? No, let's move on. All right. The next one is just an update from last week. I put on here, the green line is the DXY, and that's heavily weighted 60% against the euro um the black line is the broad tr trade weighted dollar and that one is against i think 33 34 other currencies and as you can see here the euro weighted one is really outpacing the broad dollar so a lot of people are talking about how strong the dollar is getting now and they think you know um, it's just going to blow everything out of the water but really when we look at a broad-based dollar measure it is strong it is at highs but it is not nearly as strong as the dxy would lead you to believe and that's because i think the euro is still the sick man of the currencies yeah i mean so, this was a really interesting distinction that i think you made last week which is that yeah it's it's really the euro that is taking a lot of the hits and if yeah. you can actually hone in and say oh wow it's actually the euro that's dragging the dxy down and not really anything else it kind of also goes against the greater inflation narrative, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, also it kind of goes against the strong do dollar narrative a little bit. And maybe it's just screaming Europe is having a lot of issues, no confidence. And obviously energy prices and energy futures are very, very alarming right now. Right. And everybody jumps on this strong dollar now. Um, you know, we've been talking about it here for two years that the dollar was going to strengthen. And now everybody is kind of jumping on it and saying, oh, my God, the dollar is going to rampage through the world and yada, yada, yada. Well, it, it kind of is, but it's not as dramatic as the DXY is showing right now. So uh, I would concentrate on the broad trade weighted dollar. Um, I think that's a better 
kind of signal of the strength. So, so not strong dollar, but weak euro, flaccid euro. Well, yeah, no, it, it is a strong dollar, Sick but, euro. It's, <laughs> but it's not a outrageously strong dollar like the DXY showing. So I think there's a little, you have to temper your dollar bullishness at this point. But I'm, I'm trying to come up with new memes here, uh, Ansel. I think that okay. we, we need to start talking about the sick euro problem and, and, and focus less on the strong dollar. Yeah, or euros DOA or something. I don't know, euros dead, uh, something like that. No, it has to be a process. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> All right, next slide is with this tweet from Andreas Steno. He's co-host with Macro Alf over there at Blockworks. And he's been kind of over the last week when everybody was really, uh, you know, showing all these charts about this exponential uh, parabolic move in energy prices over there in Europe. He was like, whoa, 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 let's let's hold off. Let's this isn't the end of the world. And, and you know, he, he was a voice of reason out there. And I really appreciate that. Um, and on this chart, he's showing if you go to the next slide is just a close-up of this chart and it's the one year ahead german power prices and it, it maxed out at a thousand euros per megawatt hour which is absolutely insane but it has dropped 40 percent or so since then down to almost 500 i mean it's still elevated but like everyone's screaming about the strong dollar now everyone's screaming about energy prices in europe and they are high like the dollar is strong the energy prices in europe are high but things don't go up in a, a you know exponential fashion forever. Just look at Bitcoin. You know, it goes up exponentially, then it has a, a couple years where it cools off. So uh, same sort of thing will happen in the power prices over there. Uh, if you go to the next slide, this was a response to this uh, Andreas tweet. Oil in the U.S. is $90. In Germany, oil equivalent power is no, no longer $1,600, but $800 in one year's time. And in the meantime, pay spot price way above 1000 equivalent. Okay, so it's, it is very high. And Andreas is trying to cool the jets of people screaming about this. But at the same time, this guy is saying, yeah, but it is, it is really high. So I don't know what I'm trying to say here with this is just that it's not like the wheels aren't going to fall off today. So um, I don't know what I'm trying to say with all this, Christian. What, what's, your, what's your thoughts on what I said there? Oh, you're muted. This stuff is just like a grind, right? So nothing, the gradually, then suddenly, there's a lot of gradually. And it's just like, usually there's not even really a suddenly. That's just when you actually notice things, right? So it's like, that's the thing with the gradually meme. It's, it's just pretty much always gradually. So um, for the most part, I think like with, with, uh, w with any of this stuff, like, like you said, just like the Bitcoin price, it shoots up. Demand gets destroyed, business is shut down, and then uh, and then it cools off, um, maybe to new elevated levels. Who knows? But uh, that's typically how how markets work. Like, there's just a lot of psychology into this stuff, um, and they're they're complex. So I I don't really have anything else super intelligent to add. But uh, I I'm I guess just to try to like simplify what you're trying to say. Uh, you know, this stuff is is it is a process to everything. Um, even, you know, catastrophe. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, I mean, CPI is one of the 
big topics I know that you guys uh, will uh, cue and P just talked about with uh, Mark Moss there. Um, but here's a chart that a lot of people aren't looking at. So if you go to slide number seven, that is the U.S. gasoline futures, and it is really accelerating to the downside. So it went all the way from 420 down to about 250 now, and it continues to drop in an accelerated fashion. So um, when you look at July CPI, that was 0.0% month on month, and a lot of people said, oh, that's just an aberration or, you know, this is not the right way to measure CPI. Well, August is probably going to be zero again, if not negative. Uh, so that's coming up in a little over a week and we'll get to see what that is. But um, yeah, gas prices. That looks like the Bitcoin chart. <laughs> a little flaccid there at the end. Yeah. Um, Everything is flaccid. That should be the title of the show. Flaccid <laughs> oh, markets. Okay. Flaccid I'll, I'll type macro. that up. <laughs> all right. So that's all the charts that I have here. I'm trying to temper the uh, doomsday scenario. You know, everything comes in its good time and uh, we will go to a Bitcoin system. The, the current monetary system will change, uh, but it's not going to happen overnight. And some of these like really parabolic moves, nothing dies in a straight line. So you got to just wait and, and go through the consolidations and come out on the other side. Did we talk about China? Yep. No, we haven't talked about it. Is That's the next okay, on so, the list. Should we go there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's go to that. All right. So you guys all know that, uh, well, this is going to be a topic on the Zoltan stuff that we talk about here in a second. But um, I want to take a look at some of the most recent developments this week over in China. And they are, you know, to fix a debt problem, they're adding more debt. That is what China is doing. And to try to Classic fix- Classic strategy. Yeah. And to fix overcapacity- they're spending more on uh, infrastructure. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. But uh, if you go to slide number eight, I'm going to read a little bit out of this article. Headline is China's state council rolls out 19 targeted measures to tackle various economic challenges. New policies target specific challenges, inject confidence, experts say. The state council, China's cabinet, on Wednesday, unveiled nine policy measures specifically aimed at various economic challenges, such as extreme weather and the troubling housing market, in the latest effort to boost the recovery of the world's second largest economy that's grappling with record-setting heat waves, sporadic COVID-19 outbreaks, and uh, falling market sentiment. With the government funneling more targeted policy toward, sorry, policy support into the weak links in the economy, a more solid rebound is on the horizon, observers said, betting on the Wednesday announcement to brighten the outlook for the Chinese economy. The measures were released after the Chinese A-share market saw sharp losses on Wednesday as investors grapple with global economic uncertainties. The Chinese economy has been in a recovery trend since June. Yeah, right. But the foundation for the rebound is not yet solid. According to a readout of state council executive meeting on Wednesday, which was presided over by Premier Li Keqiang. The meeting called for policy implementation in a timely man manner, uh, making use of available tools to solidify the basis of the recovery while refraining from the flood of stimulus. Although the 19 policy measures 
uh, sorry, among the 19 policy measures was the addition of more than 300 billion yuan or 43 billion in quotas for policy and development financial instruments. So 43 billion more in loans to people that haven't taken out the billions in loans that they have you know, had a quota of 500 billion. They think 43 billion now is going to lead to this economic recovery and a green light for central power generation firms, among others, to issue 200 billion yuan in bonds. So that's the last sentence. And yeah, they're just adding more debt, more infrastructure spending, uh, hoping that this fixes the problems. Continuing on, if you go to the next slide, this is a story from Bloomberg. And I'm just going to zoom out here so I can see all the words. All right. These are the mega projects in China's $1 trillion infrastructure plan. So on top of all those billions that they're trying to get people to borrow, now they're also going to spend 6.8 trillion yuan or $1 trillion on infrastructure. China is pumping trillions of yuan into infrastructure investment stimulus that could benefit the world's second largest economy well beyond its years sorry, well beyond this year's gloom of COVID lockdowns and property market turmoil. Beijing is making 6.8 trillion yuan of government funds available for construction projects, according to Bloomberg's calculation calculations based on official announcements. Total spending could be even higher than that, three times that amount by some estimates, once bank lending and corporate funds are added. In the near term, infrastructure investment could give a boost to employment, providing much needed relief to millions of job seekers hit by the downturn. All right. And then they go, they talk about what is all this money in China going towards. And I think they have four things here. So I'll just read one paragraph about each. More renewables than Europe. The deserts in North China are set to host an unparalleled buildup of renewable energy. In recent months, construction began on wind and solar power bases, which by 2030 will contain about as much renewable capacity as currently in all of Europe. So it worked so well for Europe. Let's double down and do it in China. So that's the first thing. Second thing is the world's, make sure that's the second one, uh, the world's longest water tunnel construction of canals dams and reservoirs have been stepped up with more than 800 billion yuan set to be invested in those projects this year the most ambitious is a 200 kilometer long tunnel moving water from the country's yangtze river to a reservoir that feeds northern china a scheme known as the south north water transport project now this transport project has been ongoing um they instead of tunnels, they had these large canals, uh, you know, that were uh, just dug and then filled in with concrete. Uh, these big long canals to take water from the south to the populous populated north. And over the first few years of the project, it's only gotten to about one third capacity or one third of the projected capacity of the system. So they're just throwing good money after bad with more of these water projects. It would be the world's largest water tunnel, beating the current record holder in Finland, and parts of it would be as deep as one kilometer underground. Projects that move water around the country account for about a third of China's water infrastructure spending, according to estimates by Wang Zhang and Sarah Rogers, researchers at the University of Melbourne. Planned projects could increase the amount of water available for use in China by 
122 billion cubic meters annually, they estimate. That's about five times the amount of water Germany uses each year. So um, when I was reading this, it made me think of a tweet by Bellagi that he just had this morning. So Odell had a tweet talking about in Jackson, Mississippi, they had some water problem where they were losing all water to the city of Jackson. And uh, Bellagi quote tweeted that and said, um, look, this is a sign of a descending world. And the ascending world is over here in East Asia, right? Well, this just shows you that China has their own water problems and they're much, much worse than the United States water problems. So this increase in the amount of water is one point or sorry, 122 billion cubic meters. Uh, that is about what? 100 cubic meters per person in China. Okay. 100 cubic meters per person. They average 400 cubic meters per person per year. The U S averages 1400 cubic meters per year per person. So the, even with this increase of one point or 122 billion cubic meters, there's still, uh, you know, less than half of what the U.S. per capita access to water is. So I, I just thought this was a stereotypical Bellagi trying to build up China, um, calling it the ascending power. And just because one city in America had water problems that, uh, you know, were the descending world over here. So that's all I have for China. Uh, I mean, they you can't are, say it's just one city. <laughs> I mean, there, well, there's a lot of Flint, cities, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, poor places. Uh, I mean, Mississippi is the poorest state in the union. Obviously, yeah. Jackson is one of the more populous areas there. I actually have some family in that area. Uh, so it's a yeah. little sad. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, people have been China bulls for a long time. And a very strong narrative on FedWatch is that China does not look bullish at all. So uh, I threw in the chat and uh, and Chris brought it up on the screen. But Governments misallocate capital. It's classic. Honestly, I love seeing it. So um, this is the long game, the game of making governments less and less able to control our lives. And them misallocating capital and us being on the Bitcoin side, uh, that's exactly what you want to see, right? Because they're making themselves relevant. They're spinning their wheels. Uh, they're spending their money and their credibility and resources. Uh, and it's, it's just not going to... You know, it's not going to deliver what they're looking for. You know, a shocking stat, and I'm sure it's even worse than uh, than the stat is saying, but it was something like for every dollar the U.S. government spends, it gets like 25 cents of growth. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if it's even that, right? But uh, I wonder what that stat line is for, for China, because I'm sure it's actually much, much worse. Uh, so the more central the planning, the the worse the management of capital is. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference, which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. 
Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Right. Well, that number for the U.S. was very high, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But as it approached one, then we looked for other places to you know, deploy capital. And that was in China where that ratio was much higher. But you're right. As the ratio is crashing in China, it's crashing everywhere in the world. There's no place to expand or, you know, smart place to put capital um, and expand credit. So that is the end state of uh, this, this whole system. Um, yeah. I also liked your point about the, the misallocation of capital. It's like people think that somehow these globalists did this central planning and got us to where we are today as with the U S of global hegemon and, you know, Europe having cheap Russian gas, which we'll get to here with Zoltan stuff. But people think that there was this, the current world is a result of central planning when it's not, of course, the current world is a result of everything, despite what the central planners tried to do. And uh, now when they try to uh, forecast the future, they think, oh, well, let's, you know, what do we think is the best central planning solution to fix the world? Who's going to be the better central planner? And that's just not the way, not the way to look at this stuff. We should call the central planners the disruptors. They're market disruptors. Mm. The market is trying to do something and these entities are, you know, what, in their walled gardens disrupting it. Yeah, that's, you're trying to come up with these memes and you're going to leave me in the dust because I'm not good at that stuff. No, hey, I'm here for the memes. You're, you, you do the research, I do the memes. So it's a nice division of labor. All right. Well, what do we got next? We got Zoltan stuff. Should we jump to that or should we? Uh, yeah, let's, let's go Zoltan. You right. know, Ch China's probably wrecked. Um, let's see what the central planners can do to get out of it. But uh, I don't have a lot of faith in them. Go Bitcoin. All right. So this is a piece from Zoltan Posnar. He is the head of interest rate policy or something at Credit Suisse. He is extremely good at the plumbing of the system. Uh, so like repo market and interest rates and that kind of thing. He's very good at that. But now here, you know, recently with Bretton Woods 3, this talking point that he's built up, he's venturing into geopolitics. And I think that he that's just not his forte. So we're going to go through this. It's, like you said at the beginning, it's made big waves. A lot of people are buying into things that Zoltan is saying. Uh, maybe people haven't read this report, so I wanted to read it a little bit and get let people get a flavor for this and then maybe put my two cents in there of what I'm thinking. So uh, first one, uh, first quote up, if you go to the next slide is here we go. Global supply chains work only in peacetime, but not when the world is at war, be it a hot war or an economic war. 
the low inflation world had three pillars, cheap immigrant labor, keeping nominal wage growth stagnant in the U.S., cheap Chinese goods, raising real wages amid stagnant nominal wages, and cheap Russian natural gas, fueling Germany, uh, German industry and Europe more broadly. Implicit in this trinity were two giant geostrategic and geoeconomic blocks. Neil Ferguson called the first one Chimerica. I will call the other one your Russia. So in this very first paragraph, what I want to point out is he has these three pillars, Im uh, cheap immigrant labor, cheap Chinese goods, and cheap Russian gas. But in the very first sentence, he says, peacetime. These things work in peacetime. So I think he's just misidentifying this, okay? These pillars are not the foundation. These pillars actually rest on the foundation of peace. There's something else underneath these three pillars that, that resulted in these three pillars. The, the, these are a result of the system. And what I would say, my three pillars, and the guys on my Telegram um, channel that are listening into this will have heard me say this three, three times now, but um, my three pillars are credit-based money, it's the form of the money, you know, that's, that's credit. We don't have commodity money, we have credit-based money. The second is some place to expand that credit into. And third is peace. So those are the three pillars that have built the last 75 years, not cheap immigrants, uh, cheap China goods, and cheap Russian gas. Those things are a result of having peace in a time of credit expansion. And he also said low inflation. The low inflation world has had three pillars. Okay. We haven't had low inflation. Yes. CPI has been low, but remember money is credit and credit has expanded. Credit has expanded. That's what has allowed this whole world and this whole globalized system to be built up is the expansion of credit. What is that? That's money printing. That's inflation. We've actually had a extremely high inflation decades. Now, now we have a low inflation decade where the credit is contracting. So I'm going to tie Bitcoin in here too uh, real quick is that we have um, uh, the old system, credit-based money, uh, a place to expand credit into, and peace. Now we're going to the opposite. We have war. Ukraine is a first example, but we have lots of examples like Iraq, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, all these places are kind of exploding right now. Um, so peace is going away. Also, there's no longer any place to expand credit, right? Because if you, like we just talked about, the amount of growth you get per dollar spent or per yuan invested, whatever, is decreasing. There's no productivity of debt anymore. You can't get out of a debt problem by adding more debt. So the third pillar is credit-based money. And I think that is the pillar that Bitcoin sits on, right? That is the pillar that Bitcoin is going to take over. We can't have credit-based money in a system that doesn't have a place to expand credit and peace, right? So Christian, I'm going to stop there. What's your reaction to that whole idea? Damn. That was, uh, you just dropped the mic there. I'm not going to lie. That was fantastic. Um, really articulated, I think, what you've been trying to say over the last, was it 110 episodes? We've been doing this show for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, damn. I mean, we got to clip that part. So, I don't know, Chris, if you can take some notes, but that, that needs to hit the internet. 
Uh, I think you did an excellent job just articulating your thesis around credit-based money, the Bitcoin bull case in its demise as we, you know, lose peace, lose credit expansion, inflation. We go into deflationary times. Uh, these as these things change, uh, we're gonna need Bretton Woods three, aka, or Bretton Woods two point aka. Bitcoin's opportunity. So uh, Bitcoin is for enemies. And in a world where people are not, you know, working together, that's where I think really Bitcoin shines. Uh, and I'm very optimistic based on what I'm seeing from Bitcoin and how it is starting to, you know, interplay throughout these uh, different global uh, situations that are playing out. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally bullish on Bitcoin too. And what one of the things in my Telegram uh, channel that somebody asked me was, uh, you know, hey, he was starting to lose confidence that it's going to be the unbanked that get Bitcoin over the hump. And I said, yeah, that's a conclusion that I've come to as well, that it is the big money. So I like seeing Fidelity, Vanguard, BlackRock. These guys offer Bitcoin investment to their clients because that's where uh, the, I think the next real big wave of growth in this, this uh, market is going to come from. I mean, I think it's both. That's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is everything yeah. is good for Bitcoin. It's going to get the big money and it's going to get the <laughs> the pleb per pleb, you know, path, right? People don't yeah. really exit Bitcoin. Maybe they enter shit coins, maybe they trade. But once you're in Bitcoin, you're in Bitcoin, right? Like you're, you're, you are in that overlay. You understand how it works. Uh, and you'll never be at a point where you're not, you know, trying to accumulate some sort of wealth in that fashion. So, uh, you know, my, my thesis, I, you know, I, I would love to do a deep dive with you on kind of like your thesis and try to like, you know, articulate it in a succinct way. But if I could articulate my thesis is that like, I guess the best way to say it is in a Bitcoin Tina quote, which is that Bitcoin is like water. You can't stop it and it gets everywhere. So like you <laughs> yeah. can't stop Bitcoin. It's going to go pleb by pleb and it's going to get the tsunami of big money. It really is. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about working with asymmetric open source technology that is Bitcoin is uh, it really it operates on a new level. I put out a tweet, I think last week where I was trying to say along the lines of like Bitcoin doesn't make like Bitcoin, obviously there are compromises in like there are compromises in uh in in the terms of like bitcoin's design like bitcoin can't do everything on the base layer or whatever um you know there are certain uh compromises on that front but in terms of like here is bitcoin system in existence and it's operating like bitcoin doesn't make compromises there right bitcoin doesn't worry about defrauding individuals bitcoin doesn't worry about you know, it like Bitcoin has no worries. It has no mind. It's just there. It just exists. And those who use it, use it and, you know, are moving it forward, period. End of story. Uh, so whether they're a dictator, whether they're a pleb, whether they're anything like they always carry Bitcoin forward. So that's why that's the idea. Like Bitcoin is like water. You can't stop it. It gets everywhere. You know, it's going to evaporate. It's going to show up somewhere else. It's just teleporting and digging and moving and breaking down rocks and, you know, <laughs> move, moving mountains, etc. Um, so it's just this insane force. So, uh, yeah. end of rant for me, uh, back to you. Well, Hansel. It's like water cause everyone needs it. Right. And because there is no substitute that, so you can't Both. like, there you Man, go. So yeah, like more water. mic drops, man, <laughs> I'm the memer. You're just dropping mics. 
but I liked what you said about the base layer there. And, and for my thoughts on what's going to drive this, this forward, I mean, yes, you're right that it's, everybody's going to drive it forward, but uh, the, the big money, I think when they move, you know, in mass, it's going to make a huge difference. Um, and they are going to be using it for base layer things. So base layer, large uh, settlement. Um, and that will give time for lightning, even though it's come, you know, leaps and bounds in the last few years. And I've just seen a lot recently about how much uh, capacity that it's been adding recently. Um, the, it still gives time for layer twos to develop and mature if these big players are using layer one, you know what I mean? So that's kind of what I, what I see on that, but I have more on, on Zoltan. Should we go into the next quote? Yeah, no, let's continue. Okay. I'll try not to repeat myself too much here, but okay. Finally, the U S got very rich by doing QE, but the license for QE came from the low inflation regime enabled by cheap exports coming from Russia and China. And you know, I disagree with that right there off the bat. Naturally, the top of the global economic food chain, the U S doesn't want the low inflation regime to end. But if Chimerica and your Russia are over as unions, the low inflation regime will have to end, period. As we noted in our prior dispatch, the special relationship between, between China and Russia, or Chusha, I think I say that right, Chusha, is a powerful one. A marriage of commodities and industry uniting the largest commodity producer and the factory of the world, potentially in control of Eurasia. So one thing that they're, they forgot in there, Zoltan forgot, is the customer. So you have the commodities, you have the factory, but who's going to buy all this stuff from you? Okay. The, the uh, Europe and the US is what, like say 50, roughly 50%, maybe 40% of the global economy, and they are the consumers. So who is China going to sell all this stuff to? I, I just think that this is a little bit naive on thinking that Russia and South Africa can buy all of these Chinese goods because they can't. Um, so I think right now you have a marriage of convenience between China and Russia, um, but it's, it's not a match made in heaven, if you will. Okay, let's go on to the next one, unless you want to break in there, Christian. Okay, so I today... Mean, he- Go. No, go for it. Okay. Today, the assumption among investors is that globalization is too big to fail. But globalization is not a bank in need of a bailout. It's in need of a hegemon to ma- maintain order. Bingo. Even Zoltan understands this, that the U.S. has been the hegemon that has been maintained this peaceful credit expansion era. Okay. With uh, things like the U.N., and the WTO, and dare I say the WHO, and the IMF, but those things are all losing confidence. The international order, which I will call the old world order, is losing confidence and falling apart. Um, That is, the U.S. was hegemon, but we were hegemon with this order, right? And that order is falling apart, and the U.S. is, is moving back. So the systemic event is someone challenging the hegemon. And today, Russia and China are challenging the U.S. hegemon for the current world order and its trade agreements and 
or sorry, trade arrangements and network of global supply chains to survive the challenge. The challenge must be squashed quickly and decisively in the spirit of General Powell's doctrine. And he talked about that another place in the dispatch. So, but he says for the global supply chains to survive, I don't think they're going to survive. Like why, why do they need to survive? Uh, he just is putting it out there. Like it's, it's a, that the uh, Chusha hegemon is going to result in the same sort of globalization that we have right now, which I disagree with. And I have one last quote. Should I just keep on rolling? Or do you have something to add there, Christian? Keep on rolling. All right. So the last quote, and you'll probably guys have heard a lot of people talking about a sustained higher uh, inflation environment for a long time. CPI environment. And it's not really inflation, it's CPI. But um, the, Zoltan kind of lays out right here a reason un, you know, underneath why everyone thinks that. So let's read this real quick. But we can't win by slowing progress. We'll also have to progress by building. And that's where industrial policy comes in. As an investor, you care about the inflationary consequences of Russia and China challenging the U.S. hegemon. Where inflation goes, policy rates go. Or if not, financial repression is an issue. Either way, you care, especially if you are a bond house or if you depend on fixed income. These are the scary times when the euthanasia of the rentier is at risk. To ensure that the West wins the economic war to overcome the risks posed by our commodities, your problem, and chips from our backyard, your problem, and our straits, your problem. These are all like little sayings that he covers in the dispatch. Um, the West will have to pour trillions into four types of projects starting yesterday. One, rearm. Two, reshore. Three, restock. And four, rewire. And then he goes in a long explanation after this about how each of those things is going to be pushing up prices. Um, my pushback on this is it's central planning. You know, that there's there's no need to necessarily do this stuff. The, the market will move where the market's going to move. And also second um, uh, pushback against this is that the in a deglobalized world, prices, inflation rates, etc., are not monolithic. So we have grown accustomed over the last several decades in a globalized world where if steel prices go up in Japan, they go up in the United States. Or if wheat prices go up in Russia, they go up in Africa or whatever. But that's not necessarily the case. That's not how it always has to be. And in a deglobalized world, you're going to have different pockets of price structure, of economic structure. So um, that's what I have to push back on that. That's it. That's my last slide here today, Christian. So what do you got, buddy? No, I mean, I think that there's a lot to unpack here. Um, obviously, it's really interesting to kind of think through these different theses for how things are going to play out. Um, Obviously, your thesis for a long time has been that deglobalization is happening, uh, more of an isolationist uh, thought process. And obviously, if supply chains start localizing, then obvious, then you know the price structure is going to be a lot more 
um, kind of affected by the geography and other factors that kind of play into the production of that in the local economy. Um, I have a hard time seeing a world that's like, you know, no one talks to each other, but I I do kind of buy into the fact that like the pendulum is swinging towards localization and there may be a localization extreme before we start swinging back towards uh, more interconnectedness. Uh, But benefits of distributing things is robustness, right? So if there's chaos here, chaos there, it doesn't affect the areas around it because they're less intertwined. So, um, I mean, maybe that's just uh, the ethos of what the rest of our lives are going to be. Who knows, uh, you know, how long this kind of trend is going to continue. But obviously, it is very interesting to kind of see your thesis up against uh, Zoltan, who obviously is someone who is affecting and uh, influencing a lot of people and he's really his talk track i think is is a lot more along the lines of the more mainstream kind of like intellectual narrative about this stuff not to say that um you know he's not an original or something anything like that by any means but it is very much from what i can tell very very aligned with this idea of like china is rising the west is falling um you know, there'll be a new global hegemon to maintain this kind of global, uh, you know, uh, globalization, like this global market. Uh, and it's just interesting seeing you as the, uh, the contrarian Bitcoiner, the rebel Bitcoiner, um, really articulating (laughs) the opposite take, which I think honestly, I've, I, I generally align more with too, but obviously we do this show together. So (laughs) heavily influenced by yourself. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously way more accomplished in his in his role there at Credit Suisse, and he has made some great calls. Like he predicted the repo rumble back in 2019. I think at least that's when he first when it came across my radar was he predicted that, uh, you know, pretty much to the week. I think he said like the second or third week of September we're going to start seeing some problems. So like he um really nailed that one, and then he also nailed the reverse repo facility from the Fed that it was going to hit. $2 trillion was his estimation and it hit 2.1 trillion. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's got been exact on the money in the plumbing of the system though. So that's where I will, I'll push back against him is I think that I will default or whatever to all his opinions on the plumbing of the system, but in this geopolitical sphere, uh, and I would say even monetary theory sphere, um, he doesn't, I don't think he is getting the whole picture, but Anyway, yeah. One other thing that you mentioned there was credit-based or no, uh, was localization. And you don't think it's going to be completely isolated. And I totally agree with that. But in regions that are kind of separated, so there's going to be a region that's kind of dominated by the U.S. and a region that's kind of dominated by China, uh, et cetera, to trade with within those regions or between those regions, you will need a, a commodity money. Credit-based money isn't going to do it because, uh, you know, credit requires trust and peace, and there won't be that in the world. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would say about Bitcoin's role in the future between these kind of regional deglobalized zones of the world. Um, yeah. So, would it be far-fetched to say something along the lines of uh, there potentially are economic zones, maybe with their own? currencies 
and then Bitcoin yeah. is kind of like the uh, the substrate between all of them. Is that a possible uh, end result of this kind of like next paradigm? Yeah, man, I, I think that uh, Sultan talks about Bretton Woods three and he says it's going to be like commodity, a basket of commodities and bricks or something like that. And um, I think that Bretton Woods three might be like Bretton Woods one, except for with Bitcoin. So where Bretton Woods one was um, the dollar pegged to gold and then all of the currencies pegged to the dollar. I think it could be that the dollar pegs to Bitcoin. And that sounds outlandish to say right now. I know it sounds outlandish. I mean, it sounds outlandish for me to say it, but like that is kind of where all these roads are leading is that the dollar becomes backed in some way, shape or form by Bitcoin. And then the other currencies can peg to the dollar. So that is maybe we do do a Bretton Woods three, but it looks an awful lot like Bretton Woods one. How long until some some sort of Bretton Woods three that looks like that? That's a, a Bitcoin dollar. Like how long? How far out? If you would put your best guess on that, Ansel. Like in terms oh, of like, we're looking at Bitcoin today at like Bitcoin's yeah. not even a trillion dollar asset. Like yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a long road, right? To to get to the point where you could do that. Yeah, and the rate of growth of Bitcoin since two thousand and seventeen, I would say, puts it a little bit. Uh, longer period of time. You know, if you would ask me in 2016, I would have thought, oh, okay, Bitcoin does a 20x every four years, but Bitcoin really hasn't done the 20x in this four years. It kind of did a 3x or 4x. So uh, it might take a while longer, but I would I would put it uh, 10 years from now before the dollar is backed by Bitcoin. That will be easy. That will be a much easier sell when you look at all like BlackRock's portfolio is five or 10% in Bitcoin, right? Even 5% or whatever. If BlackRock's portfolio is 5% Bitcoin, that's an easy sell to say, oh yeah, we could back cash by Bitcoin. And it's just a matter of time before that, before that happens. All right, sir. Well, uh, I'm getting the signal from Chris that it is all right to, uh, to wrap this one up. Uh, Y'all, Make sure to go to Bitcoin Day Nashville if you are in the Southeast region. Even if you're not, it's just it's going to be the most high signal event of like, I don't know, like, I guess probably the year in terms of like you get to just hang out with us in terms of the speakers like you're not going to maybe not signal, maybe the most, uh, I guess, uh, most up close and personal, right? Like it's it's almost like a meetup. Yeah, it's like a meetup with like really solid movers and shakers in this space. Uh, all of the Bitcoin Magazine staff's going to be there. Like I said, it's in our hometown. So really want to recommend that. Um, of course, get a Bitcoin Magazine. Go to the Bitcoin Conference. That's the usual shills. Uh, follow me on Twitter at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, follow FedWatch. Boost FedWatch. We're lightning enabled. Yes. Ansel, I need to get you set up as uh, need to get you set up as getting the splits on that. But yeah, and hey, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Rumble, if you're watching on Twitch or LinkedIn, pound that like button. We bring this show consistently every single week, and our track record is pretty good on making these calls. We're early on the strong dollar. Uh, We're early on the anti-inflation narrative. Uh, We were early on the China is going down narrative. We were early on the Europe is going down narrative. 
Uh, we're early on a lot of things. I mean, I got to credit Ansel for most of that, but this show, this is where the signal happens. Ansel. Yeah. Um, Bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's my website. I do a newsletter there. I'm switching it to Mondays instead of Fridays. So after 200 issues, I'm going to Mondays, which is a, a big change for me. But I do have also a Telegram channel, so you can check that out, as well as Twitter at Ansel Lindner. And, oh, Bitcoin Day, Bitcoin Day Nashville. Um, they also have other ones that are in other towns. So if, I mean, make it to Nashville because it's going to be a very high speaker to audience ratio. Uh, but if you can't make it to that one, you know, check for other Bitcoin Day opportunities in your local area because I'm sure they'll they'll have something there. So, all right, guys, that's it. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today. (laughs) 